Hi everyone and a warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology talent, transformational change and of course, tech as a force for good. I'm your host, Professor Sally Eves, and today our focus will is the all-important topic of cyber resiliency and in particular, the imperative to enable a 360-degree defence. But what does this mean in practice, especially in today's age of AI? Well, for this special feature, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Weiborg, VP of Product and Solutions Marketing at Veritas Technologies to unpack exactly this and how cyber resilience can and should be advanced as a new discipline, bringing together the three pillars of data security, data protection and data governance in an integrated but also holistic way. And beyond this too, look out for the latest cybersecurity research insights, a deep dive on the opportunity and risk juxtaposition posed by AI, the latest thoughts on cloud security and workload evolution alongside culture change and skills considerations too. We also highlight the diversity imperative in cybersecurity today with some tangible takeaway to get involved. Plus also go on an event journey, reflecting back on Cubicon right through to looking ahead to AWS reInvent coming soon, where Chris and I will be back together in person live. Hope you can catch that too. So without further ado, a warm welcome to the show, Chris. Great to have you here. Thanks so much, Sally. Great to be here. Oh, fantastic. And before we get into things, you know, all things cyber resilience, as I set up in the beginning, I think a great place to start would be a little bit more about you, the person behind the tech, if you will, Chris. Just explain a little bit more about your journey and your role at Veritas. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so uh, these days I had a product and solutions marketing at Veritas, but as you say, it's been a journey. So uh, going back, uh, I don't want to tell you how long ago, but once upon a time, uh, I, I was a practitioner. I was in IT. That's how I started my career. Um, out, out of university, I thought about going to law school and suddenly decided, no, full disclosure, I'm now married to a, an attorney, but there, that's a longer story. Uh, but got it, got into technology and um, and did it in a very practical, hands-on way. And and in many ways, um, learned and taught myself as a, as a group, um, as I'm sure many of, of the listeners here have done, because uh, I kind of thought like, hey, there's something to this tech thing. Was a consultant for many years, um, as well as in-house practitioner. My last role in IT was as one of these enterprise architect folks, um, and that's another conversation about what those people actually do. It varies from place to place, but it's a big picture IT. Um, and from there, I then went into product management for a while. Um, did that for a number of years before I moved over, as all my engineering buddies said, to the dark side in marketing and, and kind of never looked back. But it's always been great for me to be engaged in, you know, where is technology going? And importantly, how does it really benefit people and business, right? Because the tech itself is cool, but it's really about what's the impact that it's having and how's it changing uh, lives and, and the way we do things. Um, sometimes for the better, sometimes, you know, it's not so much, right? If for those of you that have, uh, you know, teenagers that are hunched over these devices all day long, yeah, so... So true. So true. Yeah. And I love that kind of the listening that you were putting to the floor there, really. A, the depth of experience, because again, I think all those different roles, different hats, as I like to call it, they yeah. really make a difference. I think with that speed and scale of change, the more different experiences and diversity perspectives you can bring together and you have this yourself, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? And again, massive proponent yeah. of learning by doing. So I absolutely love that. But also yeah. that kind of being where those different communities are as well. And, and it strikes me because you were at Cubicon very recently as well, wasn't you? And right. That's a great experience community you know event there too one of my favorite ones how was that it it was great well so um uh, way back in uh, 2019 uh and a few years before that i worked for a commercial open source company right and so it was all about the community uh as as that those folks know and and one of the things that really stuck me from that time uh was 
the, the beekeeper analogy, right? If you're trying to build something with a community, um, the community is like bees and you can't force bees to do anything. What you have to do is create this great environment that they flock to. And, and if you do that in a way that there's a mutually reinforcing um, cycle there, you get a lot of value out of it, right? Um, the contributors, because maybe it's a good career learning experience for them, right? Um, they're getting new skills. Um, they have a passion for the projects they're working on. And then, of course, you know, as you build that out as a community, and, and in, in, our, in my case, as a commercial open source vendor, you can take the value of some of that and, and take it to market. It's the passion that people have there. And I, I actually, at the show, um, had a couple individual open source contributors come chat with me about like, hey, how can we get you guys more involved? We're really glad to see you here. How do we, how do we make that happen? And I, I love it. There, there's some good takeaways from that uh, at the show. But it, what was interesting for me about KubeCon is, is in past years, right, it's been very, very developer-centric, developer-led. And, and that's, of course, going to continue. The change for me this year was I think the realization that there is a bit of a shift now because, hey, uh, people get how to do this. This is where you're going to build your app these days, right? You're not going to go back to the three-tier architecture or VMs necessarily. You're going to start here. And so if that's, the, if that's the way forward for many companies, you have to go through the same sort of maturation process on the infrastructure side of things, on the, on the more ops side of DevOps than has come before. And we, we've seen this for those of us that have been around for a while, right? We've seen this in successive waves. I remember when VMs were a new thing. Oh my God, so much learning we had to do. And then all the things you had to put around that from a security standpoint, from an operational readiness standpoint, um, from a resiliency standpoint, right? All, all the things to harden it and really make it something that you could run the business on. And that's the point where we are with containers. Um, you, you know, it used to be all about stateless apps, right? Oh, the great thing is like you could spin this up and then like it crashed and a new one would come up and no problem and keep going. Well, well, yeah, you start to take some of these mission critical run the business stateful applications, you put them in a containers world, that, that sort of changes the things you need to pay attention to. And so there's a lot of good focus on as that continues to cross the chasm, as it were, from, a, from an operational standpoint, how do we make sure we do all the right things there um, at the show that I hadn't really seen as much emphasis on before? And, and that's candidly why uh, Veritas was there as well. Absolutely. I love that. And I think it's also bringing to the fore, A, some of the things that have changed, but different areas we need to bring together and kind of look at things in kind of a combination, really being more holistic. Yeah but also yeah. integrated when it comes yeah. to, to resilience in this area as well. So, you know, I like talking pillars, Chris. So it's kind of protection, security and governance combined, isn't it? And I wonder if we could yeah. kind of draw together some of the things that, that have made made a difference there. And some of your new research, actually, I thought brought that to the fore. So, for example, what you found around downtime, for example, yeah. increasing. Perhaps we could drill into that because some great proof points there about why those three pillars matter so much. So perhaps that would be a great yeah. place to kind of navigate well, to. Well, well, I think let me approach it from a from a risk standpoint, yes. right? Because I because I think that's really what it's about. And and uh, we talk about at Veritas how uh, well what we bring to the table. We're trying to address really sort of three types of risks: risks to your data, right? And obviously the number one out there, we all talk about it. And I wish we didn't have to ransomware, right? Um, that's that's the thing that you creating headlines, not not just uh, in the technology community, but like in the national news and such. Because it has an impact, again, on people's lives. So um, there's that, risks to your data. There's risks also to, even if you can make sure the data's there and you can bring it back through things like backup and recovery, there's risks to the application availability. So your data's back, but your apps aren't up and running. How's that help the business? 
So that's another type of risk. And then I think the third type of risk that we're keep, keeping an eye on is, is really around uh, governance and compliance, as you said, right? You know, it's uh, geographical things or it's uh, industry specific things that people are, are interested in. Obviously, the GDPR that affects everyone around the globe. And now, interestingly, right, and I say this having been not just at KubeCon, what was it, two weeks ago or last week, but earlier this week at, at Microsoft Ignite, where it's all about AI, yeah? How how do you make sure you govern the information there appropriately as well? Because there's some risks associated with the data that A, you use to train your, your LLMs, your large language models. And there's also risks associated with like, you know, there's certain data that you don't want to have leak out as an organization through what AI uh, chatbots and and other uh, implementations are doing. So we we kind of look at uh, things through a data lens, as you might imagine, and and those those three risks of data applications and then uh, compliance and governance are really, really important. And exactly as I said, we we see these coming together. That that's a big part of you know, what we're trying to accomplish on behalf of our customers. Absolutely. I was at an event, I'm kind of one of these Chatham House type, you know, round table ones very recently yeah. too. And that was very much around compliance. And some of the key challenges that came came up there was A, the speed of change and the geographical differences yeah. that you mentioned and, and the role yeah. of automation kind of complementary strengths to navigate some some of some of that too. But also yeah. just the overall complexity, um, but also things yeah. around personal responsibility and accountability too. So I think compliant fines, but well over, I think it's about 117% something like that have increased yeah. and obviously from from a board perspective there's personal accountability around some of the regulation changes there That's too like NIS2 DORA yeah. etc too so again support from a training point of view about about kind of how to look at that and deal with that from a kind of C role changing um you know accountability perspective too there's so much in there to support isn't there yeah yeah there is and, and I think you know um it, it's always fun uh, I'll go back to KubeCon for a minute you know the the focus and importance of uh DevSecOps right and all, and all the shift left or expand left discussion, I, I think really, really good. But finding people that do all those things well, like those people are unicorns, right? So it's typically different groups coming together. And, and there's a lot of tooling processes and candidly culture differences between a security team, an operations team, and a developer team that you have to overcome to get that equation right. And I think that's that's sort of back to the people angle, right? And how do we pull this off? And, and as you said, when you go to a more distributed architecture, you introduce more complexities. Um, that's interesting for two reasons. One, operationally, just keeping it running. Also, because you're really expanding your attack surface, if you think about it as well, right? And, and so how do you lock that down? And so hence, a lot of the CNCF projects focused on uh, security and compliance that, that folks maybe have seen, uh, as well as uh, what a lot of the vendors are focused on and a lot of where a lot of the VC money is going into into that area today, very much starting on the prevention side. But I think increasingly people being aware that, hey, it's not just about trying to stop the bad guys because they're always going to iterate and try and get out in front of you. Right. It's a it's an arms race at some level. But then when things do go wrong, when they do go sideways, what do you do then and and where do you come back? And, and that's a conversation that I have with with our customers uh, on a daily basis, right? That's a lot of the reason why uh, companies like Veritas and others in our space are, um, you think, oh, you know, that's that's operationally kind of boring stuff. Uh, it's pretty critical to keeping the business running today. So 
So, so is I have an expression about, you know, changing the narrative. And I think in this example, it's not about the cost of, of security and protection. It's the kind of the cost of insecurity and unprotection, isn't it? If you see what I mean, I couldn't agree more. And you know, when we look Absolutely. at risks, it isn't just around, for example, that the data, the data loss, the financial aspect, it's the loyalty, isn't it? For example, in a it, consumer churn, it, so it, many it different is. things. Yeah, it, it, it is because this, this impacts, you know, brand, um, I, I, you know, you've seen the news about um, and, and sometimes these the soft targets because they may not have the quite the staff that say a large financial organization would have to to deal with security but hospitals regional hospitals right huge target and uh and whether it's you know at the nhs you've seen some of those or, or here in the u.s we have the same thing the impact that really has when suddenly your clinicians have to go back to pencil and paper to do their jobs right and think about it um we've been living with technology in a good way for so long that a lot of the the folks that now are in the nursing staff and so on, like they don't even know how to do that. They they weren't there, so you have to go back to like the people that are about to retire to run the hospital when you're when you're shut down. So like huge, huge, huge impact, and that and that's why to your point about the cost, I remember talking uh, to a, a couple uh, CISOs actually, and traditionally folks like us would sell into the operations team. We still do. That's who maintains and owns and operates what we do. But A, CISOs are now part of that conversation, right, in making decisions. And um, interestingly, even the CISOs will tell you that sometimes they will go pitch to get funds from their organization for things, projects that they want to do. And if they do it one way, like, here's how it's going to help my team. They're going to be more efficient. It's going to be you know, improving operations. They get it like, well, that's interesting. But no, if they come back and they say, hey, look, this is important because we're protecting the brand. Not, not only the CIO or, or whatever the governance organization is, but like the board can't throw money fast enough at them to go buy exactly the same things. So, you know, tips to, to those of you that are CISOs out there, right? Think about how you're positioning this and, and you already are, right? Uh, because it, it really is, uh, it's essential to the operations of many organizations to stay safe and up and running. That's why you're there. You know, once upon a time, uh, folks like us would come in and, and help you if it was a flood or a meteor strike or some such. This at some level is another form of disaster. And, and so you have to plan for it, but, but the planning is different because it's not a predictable thing like a flood. Uh, but once you know you're having a flood, you know how to deal with that. Th th this is like adaptive attackers coming at you and they keep changing their tactics and techniques and they exploit um, not just the technology, but for all those of you that got phishing emails or texts these days and so on the people right and and they adapt and so that's a very very different thing um than dealing with you know just coming back from a important but more predictable event like a flood so true i think that adaptability or agility is, is a really key one I, i've got i've got something in my mind at the moment about um you know the emetet threat for example and i mm. kind of nicknamed that chameleon um in terms of the ability yeah. for that attack to reinvent itself and, and underneath yeah. that as well it was kind of the bad actors coming together wasn't it? it was a kind of ecosystem collaboration of the bad guys correct correct of what we kind of need to do and we're seeing more and more of which is really great in terms of the ecosystem coming together and the knowledge yeah. sharing and, and the you know cross cross creativity and yeah sort of yeah around here it's so so important but that really I, I think uh yeah. I, I think it's it's become a a, a phrase that uh, I'm glad more and more people are using um within the certainly the vendor community but um you know keeping the bad guys at bay is a team sport right uh, there's there's no one vendor that can solve it all um at, at least not today let's see someday right 
I really believe that different people are bringing things to the table and you have to look at the picture holistically and work together um, to try and counter all the actions that uh, the ransomware gangs and the like are taking these days. There, there's a good reason, right? Um, young young uh, men in Eastern Europe are driving around McLarens and it's not necessarily because they're in their uh, traditional family business. <laughs> So, absolutely absolutely yeah. oh, it's such a good point and again just with the sophistication of change the different diversity of, of threat approaches as well that's the other yeah. thing i'm seeing consistently across the research as well um but yeah. also you you mentioned a couple of sectors that have got particular kind of risk um, profiles at the moment i think energy would be another example of that too Agreed. Yeah. But also with the convergence you're seeing there, a not only like IT and OT type of threats, but also the fact you know you mentioned ransomware, obviously being right up there. We're even yeah. seeing things. It's almost scary to mention it, but like killware, for example, where you're getting that integration yeah. of threats across digital and physical yeah. affecting people on site. So again, knowledge is yeah. power, isn't it, to help deal with yeah. these different things? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for better, for worse, like we've we've become dependent upon technology to do a lot of what we do. I mean, I, I you know, it's funny to me, my, my kids, uh, hey, you know, if the if the if the power is out or, you know, uh, the gas isn't, you know, doing what it needs to do, like, oh, you know, that'll get fixed. But oh, my God, if the Internet is down, dad, it's a, it's a panic. Right. And it, at some level, that's kind of where we are as a society. And and so how do we uh, continue to um use technology to to move the ball forward and to do great things but also how do we make sure um, all the right controls and all the right checks are there um, to if we're going to depend upon it uh, make sure that we uh, manage that as best we can but also importantly have contingency plans uh, and not just plans by the way that we drill and we test to make sure that if that does go away, you can deal with it, right? And I think that's where a lot of organizations are getting to is just, just again, in a risk management sense, back to the kind of boring old business continuity practices that we know from the past, like this, this is coming to the forefront all over again. So true. And back to what we said at the top, really, by learning, by doing, I think you're absolutely spot on when, when you're looking at the planning around managing these situations, it mm -hmm. has to be again, holistic, including things like simulation exercises for, for all types of roles. The same thing Correct. with training, isn't it? Um, yeah. you know, zero trust, for example, I always have this phrase, it's never once and done. Same thing about training, it's continual. It's that continual yeah. investment, you know, it, that's the only way you can get shared responsibility isn't it it's so important yep. trying yep. and having these experiences knowing what it's like you know i think another interesting one on social media has been the rise of like ce or c-suite profile phishing for example uh, that's yeah, yeah. another one hasn't it in terms of a way this, in yeah. uh so yes yeah, so important to yeah. actually you know build this out with practice too yeah it is and and, and that's you know where <laughs> at some level uh you know the people are the weak link there yeah so how, how do you do all the training that you need to do um, on the individual side, right? So it's like, oh, is this really my CEO? Or like, what can I do to test that before I respond, right? Number one, and, and then back to the, the people side, um, as, as you're doing the drills, the interesting thing there is, is it depends on the organization, but in some cases, the, the operational teams and the, and the security teams, they may not even know each other. So like you get you got to bring those those folks together and make sure they are, again, taking this bigger approach, um, this more holistic approach, as it were, to really dealing with it. I, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, one of the ways uh, we see things changing, even even in the more narrow focus on ransomware is the type of attack. Right. It used to be like, oh, I come in and I I'd go after uh, the production data and I you know encrypt it and like pay me in Bitcoin. 
Well, that that's pretty easy to solve, right? Folks like Veritas, sure, sure enough, just restore from your backups. Life's good, right? Phase two, hey, uh, we go after backup first. We take away uh, the insurance policy, and then we unfold in production. And of course, oh, you go to your backup and like, oh, I can't do anything with that. And and then I hold your ransom. Well, okay. People have gotten the point, I think now where like, hey, you have to have immutability in your backup. You have to have an isolated copy in that sort of rule of three, two, one that's been around forever. The one now may be something that you store in the cloud so you can bring it back faster versus tape, but same same concept, right? And, and now what we see is I think 68% of the times, last stat I saw on this, they'll come after you with an extortion attack. Right. So they'll, they'll steal your data. And that doesn't have to be from backup, by the way, that can be from primary and then hold your ransom for that. Like, hey, give us money or we're going to share that customer data and put you at risk again from wait for it, compliance standpoint. Right. Or we're going to expose it right in the dark web and and, and get get you that way. And, and so um, the types of attacks, in addition to all the technical techniques, continue to change. And it's um, it, we're running as fast as we can just to stay up with it, right? So the red queen hypothesis, um, here we are in technology, uh, once again, trying to, trying to equal the balance out. Um, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. Absolutely. I think that balance, I've almost got the justice skills in, in my head here. I, I'm very, yeah, that's it. things like that, but it really, it really is. And you know, AI, yeah. we've mentioned a few times in the conversation day, mm. classic example of that as well, because again, it's this juxtaposition opportunity, isn't it? In many ways, we've talked about yes. some of the complexity of workloads yes. and microservices, multiple cloud platforms, et cetera, to manage all of that. You know, the role of AI and automation could be a massive difference, particularly when we look at issues like sprawl, um, operation. Yep. overload you know burnout in teams yep. can be an amazing way to overcome that and also get more and you know proactive around threat intelligence on the reverse you, you yeah. mentioned there around you know we're fishing for example with yeah. lakes etc it could be a way to you know accelerate Correct. um the sophistication of attacks to actually get in and fool people etc so it really is this balance of coming together to, to you know look at these issues and share etc you know we have obviously the, the situation um in america a few weeks ago with, with the state address uh, around this subject safety yeah. summit in the uk as well so yeah. again, these dialogues but followed up by actions is so key isn't it again again right across the ecosystem too it, it is and I, I think you're right i mean you know what what i've seen certainly is it's not just the humans versus the humans and the machines versus the machines it's the humans and the machines versus the humans and the machines on both sides of the equation right and how can we uh use the same tools that the bad guys are using to create more creative phishing emails for example um to keep things at bay and i, and I think you're right i think there's sort of two things obvious uh, one is how do you use uh, AI for things like uh, recognizing threats, you know, realizing uh, patterns that are happening in your environment, um, not only through signals through your backup data, of course, but all the sensor things that that partners of ours are doing, and how you roll that up together. That's that's one view, right? To just know that there's something happening and know it's not a false positive, because sometimes, hey, you know, there really is an admin trying to do a bunch of changes at once. So it's not a bad guy, right? So so you you have to uh, think how you use AI there. And then I think you're right, just in terms of um, the level of complexity that one needs to manage today. And um, again, back to the IT skills thing, we all know there's shortages on the security front, on the operations front, and finding people that know how to do both of those well. <laughs> again, they're unicorns. So how can you use uh, the sort of co-pilot concept, right, in the things you need to manage? And that's another use of AI to simplify that and make sure that um, some of the best practices aren't invented uh, organization by organization by organization, but are sort of built into the system itself through the use of um, learning uh, over time what some of those best practices are and, and just baking them right into the, the kit. 
Um, so we'll see where it's going to go. I think it's exciting. Uh, it's always exciting in technology, right? Uh, you always get to learn new things. That's why I love doing it. And uh, it's interesting to track these trends, but uh, it, it is it is a, a, a bit of a bigger uh, risk that people are having to manage right now than I think um, they were, I don't know, not so long ago. It was all like, oh, it's just like, we're going to solve everything. We're just race to the cloud and we'll be fine. <laughs> right. Couldn't agree more, Chris. That's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. And you mentioned there about skills as well. And mm. maybe that's kind of another place to take this to as well, because just thinking about this as well, I think that with AI as well, there's often this focus on, on, on bias, quite understandably. But maybe mm. the pit we don't always talk about is the fact that I looked in this recently, it's well over 180 human biases have been identified as well. So again, yeah, the more yeah. diversity of teams we can have, that's another yeah. massive asset, isn't it, to our cyber defence and to think differently. You mentioned there about recreating like a phishing attack, being more sophisticated, being more creative. Yeah. Again, diversity helps that, doesn't it? Thinking it from it, a different it, it does. I, I think it's I think it's really important um, to to realize that. I mean, look, when I'm building a team as a leader, if everybody on the team is the same, I'm missing out, right? I'm missing skills. I'm missing talents. I'm missing points of view that would make the the overall team better. And so, so how do you, how do you, you know, think about that um, as you're, as you're hiring as a manager? And then how do you think about that when you go to the table to think through these scenarios, these tabletop exercises and such you need to do, because people are going to bring different thoughts and different ideas and different points of view. And, and I think it's really important. Let's go back to the security thing. It's important from that perspective as well, right? Because, you know, you may, you may view a problem one way. I may have viewed another. If we put those two together, Hey, we have a, a, a different multifaceted way to play defense. Um, versus the guys that are going to come at us with all these different things they're trying to do. Uh, su- su- super important to to continue that. And and um, and, I, and I think, you know, the other thing I worry about is just how do people keep up with the pace of new stuff? I mean, look, I, I when I was at KubeCon, uh, containers, containers, everybody's just starting to digest that. And now, now it's on to, you know, WebAssembly. Like, that's the next thing. Oh, gosh, like, you know, it's just wait a minute. <laughs> And and so I think um, a it's what it keeps it exciting, uh, but b makes it a challenge, right, for organizations to depend on. And this is this is why, in many ways, technology that's been around for a while, you know, if, if you if you ask somebody that was like born in the cloud, like why do you need mainframes? Oh, I don't need them. Well, but, but like look at all the organizations that still run on those at some level, right? Um, there's a reason for that, um, and and maybe it's because it's better suited for task. Maybe it's because uh, it, it's something that uh, handles a certain set of problems way better than these newfangled things that we care about. And so finding the people that understand how to use those those various things, right, in solving the business problem, that that's, I'll, I'll go back to what I used to, that's, that's sort of what a real enterprise architects do, right? When do I do something one way? When do I do something the other way? Do I, do I put stuff uh, in my data center? And for what reasons? When do I put stuff in the cloud? When do I make sure it's a hybrid solution, right? These are all the big picture uh, problems. And I think at some level, um, folks can only really be good at that if they've got experience um, across time uh, at some level and across um, various technologies. So the more exposure you have, sometimes that's through one person, sometimes through, as you said, bringing a team together with diverse skill sets. I love that. I love that. And I also think, you know, looking for talent in new places too, and how we yes. onboard and obviously retain as well, but certainly on the onboarding one. So as an example on DevPost at the moment, there's a, there's a big hackathon that I helped to kind of put together, literally from the rules up, if you see what I mean. Great, great, this, yeah. 
yeah, I love it. And the scenario yeah. for this is, for, for well, this particular example, financial services, kind of point of sale devices, and that's an area of growing risk. And yeah, the challenge yeah. is using particular technologies to either take the role of kind of that hacker trying to get in or vice mm. versa, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But it's all about that learning by doing. Again, you've got yeah. information on the fly, but also it's around the different variation of kind of like steam skills, isn't it? The kind of data storytelling, getting buy-in for your idea and how you work together, et cetera. So it helps you demonstrate all those team skills too um, along the way. So it can be a great way yeah. to kind of, you know, build talent for the future and outreach and, and kind of come together in that way too so i'm always kind of a big advocate yeah. of new approaches there as well uh, yeah i i love that i mean i think that's why you know hackathons whether you're in a room or uh, as you've seen on a bus traveling somewhere right with a goal um is is such a great way to build that that camaraderie that collaborative element uh i think sometimes people when they're starting out in technology it's all about learning the, the technical skills yes you need to do that right but but for me um, where the leaders really come from are people that also work on those collaborative skills. Like how how do you how do you listen well to others? How do you uh, communicate your ideas clearly? How do you get buy-in? Because sometimes you're going to meet resistance on something, right? Those are all important sort of softer skills as you're developing your career that I think are critical um, to being as effective as you can be, uh, even if you're you know the rock star in one technical area or another. And and so I, I've certainly found that to be useful in, in what I do um, is the ability to communicate, convince managed by influence, all those, all those great things that um, in some ways are just life skills, but, but really important from a career perspective in, in conjunction with the understanding of the technology. Couldn't agree more. I sometimes call that almost like rise of the generalist in terms of having a specialism, mm. but they're having that holistic awareness and yes. kind of that, that capacity to learn, but also unlearn too across a variety of areas. It's it's yeah. kind of like a kind of recipe book or a canvas, isn't it? And you can dip into those different areas. It is. It and, is. And give you the more confidence to apply those skills as well. So like things like metacognition, that we can have more personalized training within organizations, yeah. sometimes supported by AI, because that can help identify learning. Stars I agree. Too. I think yeah. that's another way forward. I, I agree. I, th I think that's you know some of the the, the more um, easily positive use cases. I think I've seen for AI are exactly that. It's a skills augmentation. Hey, I'm I'm working on you know learning a new uh, development language, um, and and you've got again you know some AI assistant that's helping you through making recommendations which is good in one way, but you don't want to like rely on the thing to tell you how to do your job. I, ideally you learn from it as you go right and and then hey you can use ai to do things like take care of the messy stuff nobody wants to do like comment on your code awesome great <laughs> but but you know the skill acquisition um that you can you can help uh you can achieve through that even today is 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 getting really good and and i do think you know as we go forward as as some of these models get better and better at, at uh, really understanding certain skills and how to do adaptive if then else sort of scenarios then um, you might be able to use AI to augment the generalist skills um, in a way that, uh, you know, once upon a time you did need really discrete specialists. Um, some of those folks may be retiring out of the workforce now. How do you take the folks that understand the general skills, may have a specialty in some area and bring them together? I also think back to your teaming uh, standpoint, put, put the AI side for a minute. The other really important thing is self-awareness. Like, what am I really good at and what am I not? what I'm not good at, boy, that's the first person I want to pull on my team, right? So we can go attack things better um, and, and solve problems. Definitely. So all of these yeah. together, it's all about these complementary strengths in so many different ways, isn't it? And I'm, it is. I'm always reminded it's a team of sport. Well, it's a team yeah, sport. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> 
and I'm reminded like you know going back back to the day like when you're doing business studies or, or similar at school and and you, and you look at like Maslow don't you the hierarchy of needs right, right and I also see that here in terms of done in the right way and yeah. AI automation etc it's an enabler that's working hand in hand helping you yeah. kind of go to that higher level of work yeah. you see what yeah. I mean so yeah, no, I do. It's fu- it's yeah. funny you say that. So you know, what some of the so people know Veritas best for what we do in the data protection world, right? But we also have a huge business in what we do on the compliance side of things. And one of the interesting things um, to to making sure you get AI right, and so that AI doesn't have um, a biased perspective on things, right? Is how do you make sure that the the training data is compliant, right? Um, you don't want to uh, share customer data. You don't want to share PII in models, at least the ones you're going to expose on the outside, right? And, and I see sometimes, you know, people moving so fast and trying to make use of the technology, they kind of forget about those issues. And so um, how can you uh, assemble all the right information into your data lakes? How do you uh, then uh, dedupe it? Because why pay for it twice if it's sitting in the cloud? <laughs> Uh, and and then um, also make sure you can scrub it of things like PII or whatever else to make sure that um, you're you're getting uh, the training data set right because if it's it's a garbage in garbage out problem right you give a model the wrong data and it's going to do things you don't want it to do I mean I, look Microsoft's doing great things with AI I saw that last week but you remember when they came out with their chatbot I don't know a few years ago what was it called Ty or something right. Mm-hmm. And and it trained on social media and and pretty quickly it was it was at first doing some really cool things and then it started spewing all this invective that it picked up from uh, you know what it saw online and and that that didn't turn out so well so they shut that thing down so good on them good learning experience they've come a long long way since then right but that perfect example of um, AI is another tool and so you have to learn how to use it and do so um, thoughtfully. Um, and 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 think about these issues that may come in 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 what you're using to train it, so that you get to the outcomes you get versus something that um, you you may not want. Because uh, boy, uh, that was a that was a, a brand hit for Microsoft when that happened. <laughs> as one Absolutely. example, right? Absolutely, yeah. and we saw quite a few things like that just reflecting back on COVID, and because there was some, so much change in terms of, you know, things that would normally be outliers if you're seeing the game more of every yeah. day, didn't it? And yeah. again, we saw the same issues there. A, a friend of mine, very senior in, in, a, in a UK hospital, and they had massive challenges there, for example, around how, how you manage beds and it, all, all the data they were using to normal ward right. management no longer applied. It wasn't fit Correct. for purpose. So, so yeah. yeah, great example of, of how yeah. important that is. Couldn't agree more. And I know, Chris, I know we've got to kind of get get to a wrap up relatively soon on the podcast. Okay. I always get yeah. sad at that point, but I, I know we can. Yeah, no, this is it. great. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation, Sal. I, I feel like you and I could chat for days, so keep and going. I love that, and I love that too. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to get yeah. the opportunity to in person, uh, Chris, aren't we? In, That's right. In a couple of weeks' time. So yeah. a way to end it would be to talk about AWS reInvent as well. Yeah. Obviously coming up very, very soon. Very, very soon, yeah. You and me and the uh, 50,000 of our closest friends, right? It's going to be great. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're, we're super excited uh, to, to be part of that. I think, you know, every year uh, AWS comes out with a bunch of great announcements about the things they've been up to, uh, the innovations that they've shared. Um, you know, our, our role there is is uh, akin to what we've been talking about, right? How do we make sure that we're helping people as they make the shift to cloud, whether it's a Microsoft cloud, in that case, the, the AWS cloud, do a couple things. Number one, make sure they protect their data there. Um, I can't tell you how many people um, on the Microsoft side of things in the M365 world, right? It's taken a while 
for people to like really understand that just because it's in the cloud, it's not safe. You have to protect that. Right. And and we can help you do that. So you, you kind of you've trusted Veritas to do that for 30 years, 30 plus years in the data center. I, I jokingly with, with my colleagues say, you know, we, we had your back in the data center. Now we have your AAS in the cloud. You, you get it? Like I, I don't want to say that on the podcast, but um, really, I mean, you have it's the same thing. It's you've shifted the compute, uh, the storage, uh, and and so on from one location to another location. The responsibility does not go away, and the CSPs are really good about telling people that they're very explicit about it. But I don't think again operationally everybody's absorbed that. So a, how can we help keep your data safe? And then B, you know, a lot of what we're doing is we're shifting our own um, capabilities to the cloud, right? So we offer the ability to run um, what we do around data protection, around compliance and so on in the cloud, either self-managed if you want to do that on the infrastructure, the IaaS and PaaS services that the various providers give you, um, as well as be able to uh, consume it as a service, right? So the whole concept of things like backup as a service, we've got that in the portfolio as well. Because our view at the end of the day is you need to protect your data. We're going to kind of leave it up to you is like, what's the right way to do that? So, you know, uh, enterprise architect, I'm talking to you, like your choice. Do you want to do that uh, in, in the traditional fashion? You know, operate, maintain, own it yourself in your data center? Do you want to operate it and maintain it and own it yourself, but run it in the cloud? Or uh, do you want to sort of outsource that to a provider to be able to just give you that service? And then you set the policies and such, but, you know, the rest is on is on us. And I think, you know, our view is, is that um, the world is hybrid. It's, it's just going to be that way. Most, most certainly most large organizations, right? If you're a small startup and everything's cloud-based, but wait, you'll get to a point where you go like, mm, might be better to bring some of that back in from a cost perspective alone. And so, you know, we have to adapt in what we do um, to follow where the, the trends that we've been talking about are going, right? From across that spectrum. Uh, and what we see most often is, is people are going to be some of each. Some some data is going to be one place, some's going to be another. Also, probably in CSPs, plug yours for a minute. It's going to be multi-cloud too, right? So hybrid multi-cloud is is like kind of a mouthful from a marketing perspective, but that's kind of the, the way we view the world going. And so um, we're there to make sure people understand that in the same way that you've trusted us for for quite some time in the traditional world. Uh, we've made that transition big time uh, into cloud. And and that's actually, I actually got it on. That's what our Alta portfolio is all about. Oh, I love that. Love that. Yeah. And I saw a session about a couple of weeks ago as well that I think is a really good fit for this too. And again, mm. it was about kind of reducing complexity, um, you know, enhancing resiliency, but it's about the simplification as well. And that was all about migrations to AWS too. Yes. And that was with yes. your um, mobility service. That was super yeah. impressive. Yeah, I saw yeah. that a couple of weeks ago. Really, really good. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad you called it mobility as opposed to migration, because I, I do think, you know, at one point, uh, folks were thinking like, okay, everything's going to cloud, right? A number of people out there probably had CIOs that said, you know, by 2025, we're shutting down all our data centers, right? You, you don't hear much of that anymore, right? We, we sort of learned it's going to be a balance. And, uh, and I think that means that your data may need to go one direction, and by the way, um, it may go into, into a cloud from the data center. And then, what, by the way, at some point, you may want to put it in a different cloud with a different CSP for whatever reason. And then sometimes people want to see it go from cloud uh, and repatriate it back on-prem. And so, you know, part of what we do um, through uh, our InfoScale technology is we can help people do that. We can help you make that move uh, and do it in a very uh, automated, to your point, way and, and a way in which um, it's not a one-time thing. Right. And you've got the choice of where does that need to go to back to this 
source and decision making that that enterprise architect guy or gals is going to make um, when they think about the bigger picture from a business perspective. And that's cost, that's security, that's compliance, including things like sovereignty and so on. And, and then also, um, you know, where am I going to be able to run it and innovate as fast as possible, right? And those are all factors that go into making that sort of decision. We want to make it easy to do that from a data perspective, not just from a compute and, and everything else that's, that goes into that. And, and as people know, data is has gravity, it's sticky. Um, and, and so sometimes the, that's a really tough thing to do. We, we want to make that easier. And that's, that's part of what, what we solve for. I totally agree. I think data, you know, even with everything we're talking about with the advance of AI, Gen AI, et cetera, as well, data remains a differentiator in so many ways, doesn't it? So I think going back to those three pillars of cyber resilience really brings that to the fore, but also getting getting ahead of these threats before they happen and combining kind of different mindsets, if you will. You mentioned business continuity, kind of alongside information security. It's bringing all these together in that holistic, integrated way, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, and so so recently we announced something we call Veritas 360 Defense, um, where we're bringing together what we do from our portfolio, data security, uh, data protection, data governance. But importantly, it's not just about us. We I don't believe we can get to 360 back to this team sport theme on our own, right? It's through us plus our ecosystem of cybersecurity partners, because they're going to bring things to the table on the prevention side. And, and specialties around things like making sure when, if, well, I, I said when, it probably is when, when you get attacked, things like your identity infrastructure can come back in a way that um, makes you feel really good about then bringing back the rest of your data so that they're not trying to come at you sideways, the bad actors, um, through uh, a, a reconfiguration of permissions, right? And and so it, it's really um, those, those three things from our point of view, security, governance, and protection, that's our value add, plus all the great things that various vendors you've probably uh, met and seen and talked to and purchased from that show up at shows like RSA and so on, bring to the table together, need to work together to be able to uh, keep keep the bad actors at bay. And ideally, um, one of the things that we're trying to do with a lot of those vendors is make sure that we take the integrations, we do them ourselves so they're out of the box for customers, so they don't have to do roll your own, right? Because because custom code is an attack surface for the bad guys. And then also uh, make sure we test them together. So um, we actually at Veritas, we have a, an isolated lab we call our red lab, where we we not only test our own stuff, but together with our partners, um, we, we take them in there, unleash malware variants from the wild, we attack ourselves basically, and then see, does it really work as we thought it would, <laughs> right? And the answer is um, not always. And so what do you learn from that? Back to this sort of adaptive growth mindset. What do you learn from that? How do you harden it so that at the end of the day, as these new variants come in, and this is an ongoing thing for us, new, new variants pop up, we put them in, test it again. And we publish a newsletter letting people know what we see and then how to address it if there are issues. And then we go fix it, of course, on the product side um, to, to help keep our customers safe, as safe as we can, right, as, as things continue to, to change. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's 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 super important Um to be able to, as you say, think about security, do all the things you can on the prevention side of things. Um, and there's a lot of thought and effort going into that as, as should happen. You, you gotta do the, the testing, but then you also have to think about resilience. And for me, those are related, but slightly different topics. Security is often about stopping things from happening. Resilience is like when bad things do happen, then what? And, and how can you make sure you can bounce back from that and, and this is where teams, people, processes, tools, vendors need to come together in, in our point of view to solve that big problem. 
Fantastic quiz. A great way to end it today. So thank you so much for joining us. And frankly, can't wait to see you soon at AWS. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. I'll see you in Las Vegas. And thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. And thank you all for watching and listening too. I've been Sally Eves, and this has been another episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.